the lead, whatever it was, Cavill, mm-hmm. um, is hilariously gruff. Yeah. Uh, he does a lot of just going, mm. Yep. <laughs> it was just, and I was watching it with subtitles a lot of the time. Uh, yeah. Well, I think part of it is like The Witcher literally is sort of a stoic character. And yeah. so there's not too much to work with when he's just grunting a lot. Butterscotch. Welcome to episode 238 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Sam and I'm not Seth. I'm Adam and I'm not Seth either. <laughs> This is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is December 23rd. Actually, yeah, 2019. This is debuting on Christmas, though. And as a little bit of a warning before we get started, anything can happen in this show. Profanity is guaranteed, so this show should not be listened to by children. Or, or it should. Or, or it should, depending on your views of learning how to swear at an early age. Yep. And if you have, if you are a child with, your, with autonomy. Yeah, that's true. In which you case... Know. Go wild. Free range child, put that podcast right in your ears. So before we get started, I want to say thanks for the Ko-Fi money from moneygrab.bscotch.net from our recurring supporters. You're always welcome to throw money at us over there at moneygrab.bscotch.net and keep our podcast mics very hot. Even better, go by Levelhead. Also go by Levelhead. It's on sale. Everything's on sale. Okay, so let's get into it. Where's Seth? Seth is uh, basically dead. He's yeah. been basically dead for now. It's like 10 days. A long time. He, he started getting some disease last weekend, I think. On Saturday. Last Saturday. And, uh, and and it just kept snowballing and becoming a worse and worse and worse disease. And uh, he, he went to urgent care, got a shot of steroids uh, for some reason. I was talking to my wife. So my, my wife used to be a, a physician. And so we, I was like walking her through what was going on with Seth, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and I mentioned that he got this shot of steroids and she just – Rolled her eyes. <laughs> it was like because uh, and the idea there being that you know people they just want to do something you know yeah and like, I think when you walk into an urgent care you don't want to walk out with nothing with nothing especially you know? if you're feeling terrible and uh, but there's kind of there's a funny irony there too because she's like yeah like the steroids are gonna make you feel better right but steroids also knock your immune system down a little bit that's kind of one of the things <laughs> they do right so oh no so you know it's it's one of the things where where they're short term gain yeah it's a short term gain and, and they just feel like they're doing something but uh, but at least Seth got a day of roid rage so yeah that's which good it's got some value it definitely does especially when you're when i think you're four or five days deep on an illness to have one one gleaming day of strength and overwhelming raw power uh (laughs) it's very nice yeah it's the only way but But, yeah he's yeah i think it's it's like a bad bad something flu it appears to be morphing over time so from what i've heard just i haven't gotten to talk to him just through the discord we've been chatting on there yeah we kept him well away from our i didn't even want to have a phone call with him i'm like whatever disease you got if it comes through through the radio waves no god not happening so he's not allowed in the studio we've been keeping He's basically in quarantine. Um, yeah, which he is not enjoying very much. <laughs> <No. laughs> but uh, from what I understand about it, it starts off as a sore throat and then morphed like into – Like a really sore throat. Yeah, like a stabbing pain yeah, sort like of thing. Yeah, like a mouth on – throat on fire kind of scenario. And then morphs into a, sort of a feverish thing and then the sore throat kind of went down. He was like, okay, I'm getting, getting clear of this. But then it came back but a different kind. Yeah. And so that seems to be what his journey and has been. And a horrible head sort of cold symptoms, you know, mm-hmm. with, uh, with you know, snot just – Squirt, squirting, squirting doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel violent enough. Uh, just exploding, I guess. Yeah. Exploding out of his face. Um, so I don't know where he's where exactly he's at right now. All we know is we talked to him this morning. We're like, all right, so for the podcast, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, are we going to two-person it? Are we going to do a rerun? What are we going to do? We figured we want to. We want all of our lovely listeners to have a new a new listening especially experience. Especially on Christmas. Especially Day. on Christmas Day. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining you sitting down in, in your you know your hideous. Morning sweater. Uh, for <laughs> you got an ugly sweater, yeah. You got your ugly sweater on. You're drinking some hot cocoa. Mm. Uh, whether you're 
you know, on the south, the, the south end of the of the planet, and it's actually summertime, but yep. you know, you're still drinking that hot cocoa with that sweater on for the just the experience, just for the vibe. This is whether or not because like I'm not a religious person at all. Uh, I don't even really care about Christmas, but. I just get to enjoy that sort of aspect of Christmas it Day is regardless. It's a great, you know? wonderful excuse to have a warm morning with the fam. Yeah. So just, you know, so just imagine you doing that and then listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Just having this, you wake up, put on your ugly sweater, drink some hot chocolate. And we thought we can't just, just give you something we've given you before. You no. know, that's like getting a, that's like a re-gifting thing. You know, we're not doing that. Yeah. We don't, yeah. That, that adds too many layers of like metaphor mm-hmm. about other stuff if we, if we were to do such a thing. But yeah, so, uh. Says gone, and he presumably will be gone for the next while as the disease appears to show no signs of stopping. So um, our hearts go out to – our thoughts and prayers yeah. go out to Seth today. And, um, and that's the best way to to help a person who's sick without getting sick yourself. Right? Just to just, just imagine them getting better mm-hmm. and making it just their problem. <laughs> 100%. So uh, another news out in the world, life in the world stuff. Uh, some other big stuff happened in the games – the weird sort of games industry – Rest of the world crossover, which is that The Witcher mm-hmm. has shown up on Netflix. Yeah. So let's talk about this a little bit. Yeah. So The Witcher – so I've not played no the spoilers. game. I've not played the game. We're not doing spoilers. Uh, and I, I can't spoil the game because I haven't played it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding of of the the series, the, the Netflix show versus sort of the game of the books is that both the game and the show are you know based off of the books. But they – of course – the game couldn't have had any basis on the show, but mm-hmm. but the show, I, I think there's like there's probably some cross contamination because 100%. there's got to be there's got to be, but I but it wasn't it's not based on the video game, it's based on the book, right, right? or the book series. Um, so so it features everyone's favorite gruff, uh, uh, protagonist, Super beautiful chiseled um, man, yep, Henry Cavill, Henry Cavill playing as uh, Geralt of Rivia. Uh, he does a, he does a lot of just grunting, which is pretty amusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't, since I haven't, I haven't read the books, haven't played the game. So all I know is the show. And as a show by itself, it's been critically kind of uh, panned a bit. Um, and people are saying things like, "Oh, if you haven't played the game or if you haven't read the books, then this this is just like garbage and like all this stuff." Uh, and and I think this is a weird in a weird way because before it came out, there's a whole bunch of press about it being like the next Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And I think that. That set it up to be just something that it isn't and that it couldn't yeah. possibly live up to. Um, and uh, But I actually enjoyed it a lot. It, I, was, I was talking to Sarah about it this morning about how it reminded me of the, of the show Supernatural mm-hmm. um, and that it's like it's a bit campy, uh, but it still, it still takes itself pretty seriously at the same time. Um, and, uh, and it's just basically kind of a – I don't know. It's almost like a, just a detective you – know, like each show is kind of encapsulated yeah. like a – there's a monster you got to go hunt and and then you like learn some like fun lore about some monster and then it gets – then there's a fight and you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the show itself though is a little bit more than that because there's a kind of an overarching story they're trying to tell. And so some episodes are more about the story than they are about some you know one-off monster fight or something. Um, there's a bit more going on there. Um, but I actually had a good time with it. Yeah. So I've watched uh, I've watched through about half of it so far um, and I really enjoyed it. And I, so I played, I played The Witcher 3 um, and so just to back up a little bit. So – uh, the 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 Witcher itself is a is a story and a series that's all about basically what happened. This idea that that occasionally the reason why in this world we get stuff like ghosts or werewolves or whatever else or these these talks these legends about it is because uh, actually the two our world and then one sort of in an, at least my understanding of this might be totally wrong but I'm pretty sure this is how it works. Uh, there's like an alternate world where the actually magic is is all over the place. There's elves. There's all sorts of monsters and stuff. And so what happened in uh, the case of the Witcher's universe is that. 
every so often, um, our world and that world would actually sort of perfectly align in in the dimensions. Right. And they would sort of slip into each other. And so that's where you'd occasionally get monsters and stuff. And then at some point, they actually locked together. Yeah, which actually, even if you didn't know the lore, like the backstory of the, of the show, you can infer from the things that they say. Because they kept on talking about things like the alignment of the spheres. Yes, right? that's what they sort of call And yeah. you can kind of infer that that's basically what they're talking about. Yeah, so they did a pretty so, good job in the show with – there's clearly though, like if you knew, if you read the books, I imagine you would get a hell of a lot more oh, out yeah. of what's going on because there, it, it's it's very obvious. There's a lot, a lot of deep just world building in there that you're just missing. You're just seeing the like the top. Yeah, of I it. think I played the I played the third one for maybe 15 hours or so, and that helped a ton in terms of just getting what was yeah. going on. Uh, but mm-hmm. the sword play is absolutely phenomenal to watch. Yeah, uh, very very fun. And then the monsters, of course, are great. And the 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 best thing about it is I th- I think it's at its best when it's when it's acting like that detective story. Yeah. Uh, so my favorite episode so far is the third one, um, which is about this creature called a Striga. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go much further than that. But um, but it is it's just it's really really fun. I think it's a sort of the that feels like to me so far the series sort of at its best. So we'll see kind of how that shakes out and how people think about it. Because I think there's always going to be a weird critical response to things like this. Yeah. And the question is, you know, what what is the mass of people really say. Yeah, well, and so much of the critical response is is has to do with expectations and has to yes. do with has to do with a lot of stuff that isn't about just kind of the thing as it is. And and I would I, I wouldn't argue it's like a the highest quality piece of of TV, you know. Oh, yeah. But no. it is I mean it, it is good. It's well it's well put together it, and it's uh and it's very fun. The char- the characters are fairly believable um as just like in in their roles um and uh and the the lead, whatever it was, Cavill, mm-hmm. um, is hilariously gruff. Yeah. Uh, he does a lot of just going, mm. Yep. <laughs> it was just, and I was watching it with subtitles a lot of the time. Uh, which actually uh, helped a lot. Because it helped a lot because I was having some trouble understanding some of the accents yep. at the beginning. Yeah. Um, which I always do for British accents. Like, it always takes me like a good half hour to kind of lock, lock it in, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just had him go. I just noticed there were so many, there's so many lines in there that in the caption just said, it was just, hmm. Like, it's how they yep. translated it, you know? But it was just him going, hmm. <laughs> so many times. Yeah, he's very gruff, which is yeah. kind of a, I mean, the one complaint my wife, my wife's been watching with me, and she said the one complaint she had is versus Game of Thrones, there was quite a bit of character development over yeah. the course of even the first season. They didn't dig nearly deep enough into characters. Nah, yeah. Well, I think part of it is like The Witcher literally is sort of a stoic character. And yeah. so there's not too much to work with when he's just grunting a lot. Actually, it's the, the other kind of lead role, which is a, uh, character who plays it's a witch named Yennefer mm-hmm. um, that one actually has way more character development yeah. in terms of like you get a sense of like you get her origin story you figure out why she sees the world the way that she does mm-hmm. you, like you actually learn a lot about what she's up to what her motivations are um, but with uh, but yeah, with with the Witcher though, like the the main character of the whole fucking thing, he just kind of is what he is. He just kind of <laughs> is what he is, and and like as they get to the end of the thing, they 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 finally like the end of the season, they finally have some some kind of explanatory, you know, memory things to mm. kind of tell you a little bit about his origin. Um, but there's not enough there. There just isn't enough there to really, to really explain kind of anything. Yeah. I think the, the, way, the best way Adam and I kind of got to it this morning was that it feels like it didn't know if it was going to have a season two. Yeah. And so they tried to really pack all this stuff yeah, in. Yeah. So they wanted to kind of tell a whole arc. But I think because there was a moment though in there, uh, in sort of towards the end when they, were, when they were kind of referring back to his origin story, mm-hmm. where he said something like, He's like only three out of ten uh, people like survive the 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 Witcher training or something mm-hmm. like that, 
and and I was like, fuck, I want to watch a TV series about like becoming kids Witcher. becoming witchers, yeah. right? Like that that would be a super interesting, really yeah. compelling thing. And where you get to dig into lore and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that, that absence of room to breathe over time. Because yeah. I, I think the thing that TV that has made TV so good in recent years is the possibility that it can take its time and just like dig deep and really get into stuff. And and then when it falls apart is when you have some sort of like a big budget thing that you only know it's going to last a season and it has to rush through it. And and I think that's when it kind of kind of disintegrates. Um, But yeah, it was still very fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. So I look forward to finishing that. Um, Also, you know, today is is Christmas. So enjoy your gifts. Enjoy. Enjoy some rampant capitalism. Yep. You know, worship whatever deities you like. It's all good time. Um, We did. uh, My wife and I did gifts actually this past weekend. So we're we're to gift it up because we're leaving it. Um, and it's always just fun. I think one of the, one of my favorite things is giving someone a gift and just watching their response to it. Yeah. Because especially if there's a, if they're a highly emotive person, which my wife certainly is, it's just great. <laughs> it's just fun <laughs> watching someone just kind of scream and lose their mind a little bit. It's I just like, yeah, my, my goal is always to, to, with, with my wife, uh, is, so the only person I get presents for is my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, I don't need anything. I don't want people giving me presents. I figure everybody else has got what they need. So, um, and my wife is a person I know the best. So, uh, and that's who I have the most incentive to like, I want to try to make things good for you. You know, we try to do that um, thing where you're like, I, there's a thing that I know you would never get for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And that's I think it's, it's, it's uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, and I have full context with, you know, you have full context with a spouse, right? Cause like, you know, it's in your house, you know, you just know everything. Mm-hmm. And so, so my goal for the past several years has been like to try to find the one thing that like she'd end up using the shit out of that she like knew she wanted and like, and maybe kind of needed, but wasn't not enough to actually, you know, get, right. um, and, uh, and so we did that for the past few years, which has been, it's been mostly hit with like, with like two misses. One of them was a, was a nice camera that she just, because phone cameras are so nice now that yep. there was a completely fucking useless. <laughs> um, but, uh, but this year though, we both decided, um, to, and the other thing that, that my, that my wife and I decided to do was to, to take the, take the financial part out of as much as possible by having our purchases for each other for, for like birthdays and Christmas and stuff. Um, come out of our our joint mm-hmm. money, right? right? So it's not like me spending my money and her spending her money or anything like that because then you have to now start worrying about like a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, right? Cash flows. Yeah, so we're worried about cash flow. And so instead we just said, okay, we're going to – we're just going to budget every year, just gift money. Mm. Where, and now it's all about like how do we pick the thing out and that kind of stuff versus the, Fun, the yeah. cost of the thing, uh, which has helped a lot. Um, but so this year though, we both – there's something that we both really want, but it's not – it doesn't even exist yet, which is – so we talk, a cyber truck. No, not that. I do not want that at all. Uh, so we talked. We've talked in the in the podcast before about noise canceling headphones. Yes, and those are just it's the, it's the best fucking investment that I think I have made for work. Just kind of period. Um, and and we have so we have really nice ones. Are both whatever they are, but like you know, there's the big, big the fancy headsets, Bose ones. Fancy yeah. Bose ones. Um, they're like three hundred bucks a pop, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not cheap. And so that was one of the things I got my wife last year was one of those sets because it was a thing she would never buy herself. She didn't really believe that it was that good. Uh, and I was like, fine, I'm gonna get you one. So you just like Learn. have to experience it. And now it's you know an indispensable part of her work. Um, and so so now she's been doing that for more than a year, and like I've been doing it for years. And but there's still a problem with the over the ear headphones. You know, it's like you can't you can't wear a hat in the winter. Like a, you your know, dome gets cold. Your dome gets cold. If you if you have hair, you're gonna mess up your hair. In my case, I just get a fun line on my head because uh-huh. I don't have hair. <laughs> um, and it's just not like it's not that comfortable. They're hard to pack. So if you want to, because the noise canceling noise canceling headphones on an airplane, fucking amazing. Oh, they're beautiful. They're yeah. amazing. But they're huge. You got to pack all. Especially if you're like me, if you like to pack really really light, so you just have exactly one bag, no matter where you're going and how long your trip is. 
uh, taking up an entire like cubic half foot, you know, with, <laughs> with headphones is crazy. So, so Bose is releasing in 2020, Ooh. no actual date, but just in 2020, uh, what are, what they're claiming is going to be basically the sort of, uh, market leading, uh, cordless, just in ear noise canceling, like real noise canceling earbuds. So there are a handful of noise canceling earbuds hmm. out there. Not that many. Um, some of them are supposedly pretty good. Uh, but everybody says they don't, you know, they don't, they don't come anywhere close to like proper. Yeah. Cause it's not a full cup canceling. over your entire ear. Right. So yeah. So just can't, but supposedly Bose is like, they're going to, and they, cause Bose hasn't really entered that market actually. They're like, they don't have really good, mm-hmm. just like in ear ones. And so suppose they're going to do it this year. Hmm. I don't know how much they're going to cost, but I do not doubt they're going to be like four hundred fucking dollars. <laughs> it's going to be, be a lot. lot. Miniaturization so, always costs an extreme yeah, amount. Yeah, yeah. So my wife and I were like, okay, we both need that. They're really expensive, so <laughs> probably we have mm-hmm. no idea. So for Christmas, we're actually just going to we're just hanging out. It's we're a just, deferred. It's, it's a, a deferred, deferred gift because <laughs> uh, we may need to also incorporate our birthday gifts or something. Right. Like we don't know how much this is going to cost, um, but we just know like that is the thing that we want this year, right? Um, and now it ends up getting, be, getting to be a shared experience that we get to like be excited about together. Are you guys going to line though, up in front of a Bose store no, or something to camp out? <laughs> or just order on Amazon so we get, <laughs> get it the moment it comes out. Uh, That's awesome. But yeah. The other thing about my wife and I rolling that same idea, which is just to kind of continue the idea not related to, mm-hmm. to Christmas stuff. But um, for birthdays, we do the same thing for going out to eat. So, mm. so like we just say, okay, we have a handful of special occasions every year. It's like – Birthdays and anniversary, right? And the only reason we care about those is to celebrate them with each other. That's like that's the yep. entire purpose of those events, and and then also basically to be an excuse to like go eat, go out to eat somewhere really nice, right? And so again, we just budget that. It's just part of the family family expenses, mm-hmm. right? Is that every year we have three events that we have to like spend. Basically, your festivals. It's our festivals yep. exactly, <laughs> and and that way again we don't have to worry about like Jenny doesn't have to like try to scrap together money while mm-hmm. she's you know doing her her new writing career that right. she's like trying to get off the ground like. It sucks that she would have to try to scrape together yep. like yeah, some yeah. of her own money to do it versus just being like, we just have family money. It's yeah. fine. Um, and, and so we started doing that for the past couple of years and it's been really nice. That's awesome. It's a nice way to do it. It's a smart way to do it so you don't have that surprise or the or the sort of consternation that comes with buying someone a gift where yeah. you're like, well, now I'm in debt. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's surprising yeah. Well, yeah, because it depends on how you're handling your finances as a yeah. unit, right? And about how that kind of thing could work. Um, but, but I think – yeah, I think uh, if you – there's that whole aspect of gift giving, which is the part that I didn't really like, which is that idea that like you're trying to make some sort of a financial sacrifice to demonstrate something mm-hmm. versus just being able to show somebody that like, hey, like – It's really about extra thought. It's right? about extra thought is, what it is, what, is the part of it that I like. Um, and, and so being able to take out the piece where everybody just like – everybody has agreed like, OK, this is how much money we can aff- – like we as a unit can mm-hmm. afford, right? And so that's what – that's what the – the cap is, is, is right. that thing. And, uh, and it's completely fine if you spend all the way up to that cap and it's, and we're doing it with our money collectively. Right. And it's just, so that way you get to participate in the same tradition of like gift giving and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. without, without just into, you know, uh, some part of that, of that couple being like, Oh fuck with it. Like this well, year yeah. I spent more money on this and now I don't have as much left over. Yeah, well, it's smart. You know. Cause it moves, it moves the focus away from the resource and onto what usually what is actually important to people, which is that, that idea of, of really trying to think through, Someone that you love's interests and desires. yeah, and otherwise right. just celebration, right? Because yeah. if because if the, if like a if every time one of us has a birthday now, like it's just both of us celebrating instead of one of us celebrating the other person's birthday, mm-hmm. right? It's actually just a chance for us to both be like, awesome. This is like an excuse to go hog wild, right. you know, yeah, yeah. like and like really and really just go all in on some interesting 
life experience that we otherwise wouldn't uh, wouldn't be willing to you know to put the money right, on any other Wednesday. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Uh, so also speaking of gifts and everything else, uh, the Epic Store has twelve days. Yeah, I think we're on day games. four right. today. Yeah. Which means by Christmas it'll be day six or something. Yeah, and so. Uh, we've already been. I've been claiming all those. Um, they got three of the four so far. They, yeah, that's super hot in there. They had. Uh, actually, I can't remember. This is the thing. They're free. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just open up the launcher and get them every day. Yeah. Um, so far, I have because Epic's been doing this free game of the week now for a yeah. year. Um, and and I still so I didn't get all of them. But I got a lot of them. So so my Epic library now has probably. Kind of like thirty games. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a couple dozen. Plus, there's one where they were like, "Here's six Batman games." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I have a whole bunch in there, but I don't think so. The only ones I've actually bought in the store are were the AAA Epic exclusives. Mm-hmm. So that was Borderlands, Borderlands, Outer Wilds. Yep, exactly. So only those two. Everything else I've gotten for Outer free. Worlds. Outer Worlds. Sorry, yep. shit. <laughs> Outer Wilds is also an is Epic exclusive. Okay, yeah. I yeah. think yeah. it's also on the store definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to add to the confusion. Um, but yeah, so it, so I have all those games in there, but I and I think I installed Journey because Journey, oh yeah, used to be a PlayStation exclusive yeah. for, for like five fucking years or something, and it was one of these like touted like the the best indie game it's of all time kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was a corny experience, and when I, when I started in the industry now, whatever five years yeah. ago, something whatever that was, um, like Journey was a like was a big. It, it had been out for a little bit at yeah. that point, but it was still like one of the big things people pointed to, like. Look at this. Look like, at this. Yeah. This is like this is a good indie title. Like the mm-hmm. the the devs were just like revered and all this stuff. Um, but it was an experience I never got to actually participate in because I didn't have a PlayStation. So you installed it. So I you... installed it and then <laughs> haven't booted it up. And it's the only game of the free games I've even installed. Oh man, the rest I just have. And uh, yeah, I got I got Minute. I got Fez, which I'd always wanted to. Play. I haven't actually. I tried. To, I did play Fez. I, I bought it on Steam a long time after watching mm-hmm. the indie movie. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, I played it for like half an hour and I was like, oh, I kind of get what this is doing, yeah. but it didn't. It didn't. It didn't hook you. It didn't hook me, so I didn't. I didn't continue after that. Like this is this is the really weird thing actually about what's going on right now, which is that there's there are there's genuinely like a more than a year of playtime mm-hmm. available in I think even for someone who's an enthusiast of games. Yeah. Who plays a lot, um, even just just via Steam or via Epic? Yeah. Uh, let alone if you look at all the other giveaways happening. I know Twitch is doing one where I think if you sign up for Twitch, whatever their Twitch Prime or whatever the thing is, the Amazon Prime sort of equivalent thing, um, they're giving out like twelve free games too. Oh really? It's, yeah. There's just like if you, <laughs> everywhere you look, there's just a, there's just a huge volume of free games, and they're not bad games. Like they are all they're really top games. shelf. Things. Yeah. Well, and this is kind of an interesting. Problem because because now we we are not participating in those things mm-hmm. right and and not necessarily by choice because like those are hard things to because it's to. only twelve games they're, they're very curated lists um, and so so now here we are amongst the pool of all the things that are not giving away free games right mm-hmm. and and we're now trying to compete yeah with that right because now and and I can feel this with myself too right so if I I don't I used to every time there was a Steam sale like every winter sale or whatever I would like boot up Steam and dig a bit see if like there's anything that like Maybe I would want to try, mm-hmm. but you know, would it would need to be way cheaper because I didn't think I would like it or whatever. Uh, I used to spend a fair bit of time just kind of digging through those, and now though, the first thing I look at is the Epic Store, and not because I want something from the Epic Store, because I want to see just what's, what's the free what's the free game is, <laughs> and then I always get it because it's free and yep. it's always a good title. And after I've done that, I feel like I, there's something about having done that where it's like, okay, I just I did it now. I I got a game. It was actually because there wasn't this, a specific game I was looking for, right? Right. So now I got one, and so now I don't go like. Peru Steam and, you know, and try to find yeah, stuff. I mean, I think I think what you're talking about is a very real thing because I this is actually the first year that I can remember where I haven't I actually have not spent any time yet 
even just browsing through the Steam store. Yeah, I looked at the holiday sale. I looked at my uh, my wish list, mm-hmm. but I didn't browse anything. And mm-hmm. I looked at my wish list, and of course, everything was on sale. But I was like, I still don't actually want to buy any of these, you know? Because <laughs> right. like, it's not it's not about them even being on sale, which is right. thing we've been talking about in the studio too. This like how people behave on Steam, how we behave on Steam, like the impact of sales and stuff, and and all these free games floating and around. All these free games floating around. Like there's yeah. there's a lot. The the thing is a big kind of kind of just mess right now and mm-hmm. uh, and i think you know we, we we've been we've been talking about how we think that the that games really are going to end up being subscription i think things so. i think like that that's going to be where things go but but in part that's because it it has to be because of this there's this curation problem right there's just so many games out there it's and it has to be kind of a winner take all thing because that's just how all this stuff works um and and so anytime you have the opportunity to have a curated list that is easy for you to get access to because like you just you're already subscribed to it or, or whatever um that's going to take that's going to be the primary focus of your attention and as soon as that's the primary focus of your attention just less attention goes to the other stuff yeah, and yeah. the other stuff is requires more attention so it's more costly so then by the time you get there having used up all your attention on this you know the subscription service what are you gonna you're not gonna buy anything yeah, right yeah, yeah. and and so i think i think subscription services are going to continue to take more and more market share because they absorb attention. Because they absorb attention and they – and because there are so many good games that, mm-hmm. that you know, any two good games are not even close to equivalent experiences, which is the still – that's the only thing we have going for us left, right? Which is that, yeah, we're not in the in that group, but we have a game that nobody else has made and it's, right. and it's unique. But at some point when there's so much content, the fact of the just the sheer volume of good content makes them interchangeable again. Well, I think you know basically what, I mean? what, you have to, what you have to start trying to build for – I'm going to think about this a bit too is – one of the, I, I don't think subscriptions are necessarily going to just sort of plow over and take over everything. It's just sort of that they're they're going to be a rising form of of how the industry works yeah. going forward, right? So like Steam, like the usual selling of games is not going to go Well, it's going to be a rising form of how developers and publishers get their games paid for. Yes, or get their and development paid for. First place. But yeah. I think there's an interesting point there, which is I think one of the things that you can try to do to to make it more likely that someone will engage with your game, period, whether it's on subscription or go buy it uh, in some in some limited time frame is to try to get the game uh, enough exposure and played by enough people at its debut that it becomes more of a cultural experience that it was right, partaken. Yeah. So yeah. I think that, that of and, course, and that will never go away. Like that's, no, that won't. Yeah. Um, and, and having components of the game that, that allow for, for intense community involvement yes. interaction um, because that's the thing that allows it to survive past that initial launch, right? Yeah. So if you, can get, if you can get it out and get it seen, then even if you have to do that, it's something of a loss, right? So, so in our case, Levelhead, we're planning on spending – a whole bunch of of our you know hard earned crashlands money basically on advertising to to make that to make that work and and that might be just straight loss mm-hmm. on day one yeah right because uh, we're not doing it for day one right we're we're basically we're banking on the idea that every person we bring into Levelhead um, is because of the kind of game that Levelhead is has a decent probability of becoming a hobbyist Levelhead player. Mm-hmm. Like that's the target, right? And because if we can do that, then we can keep this game alive over over the next several years while we work on the next title, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think it, I think it is like things are are shifting as to because I think it like with Crashlands, our goal is to basically do what everybody else was doing for a premium title, which was you make seventy percent of your revenue, your lifetime revenue, yep. in the first couple months or whatever it is, and and then you just assume after that, like you just get jack shit, and that's yeah. it, right? And it might be moving more towards a model where now you like you 
go with some subscription service. You do like a free game thing and get paid up front for a licensing mm-hmm. fee from the publisher or whatever. The, the business model is going to be a lot more mixed up. It's going to be weird. It's going to be very different. It's also going to be different per platform, right? Yep. And like, and, and so you're going to have these like weird hybrids where on one platform you're part of a subscription service and on another one it's a standalone purchasable title, title and another one it's a free giveaway and that's the mm-hmm. only way it exists. And another one it's part of, it's like it itself you subscribe to just, you know, by itself. Yep. Uh, and and you're going to start seeing this like, cause, and we're going to be doing this kind of stuff for level head. Like it's going to be depending on the platform and the business deal that we can get. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to look different. It's going to, it's going to behave differently on each of these platforms. I think we're going to see a lot more of this. So yeah, so it's, it's a weird, like I felt like the market, the market was really fragmented for a while. Right. Yeah. And now, and like and kind of fragmenting more. And now the business model on top of that is also fragmenting. Yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of a weird, like shotgun, uh-huh. uh, you know, ex- effect of just a, an explosion of, of kinds of, opportunities and, and ways that things can go. That's very weird. Yeah. But on that note, I mean, so Levelhead is on sale right now. So you can go get it basically. I uh, guess just on Steam. Yeah, um, please go get it. Please go get it because it is on sale. Uh, it's uh, We just published a big patch, uh, our last one for the year actually, a couple yeah. weeks ago. And uh, it's been a really crazy year for the game. So we've had more than I think 16 updates to the game, something like that. It's so high yeah, that I don't even, can't even remember it. Um, it's got to be more than that even. Well, it was one a week for a while i yeah. think it's like i don't know how long it's just been we've been putting out a ton of content yeah. but the thing i'm really excited about is that we actually got the so indie db which is the competition that we mentioned to you guys uh i don't know two weeks ago or so uh the voting has closed for the sort of the player's choice side of it but we actually got the editor's choice award for indie from indie db for the community management uh, yeah. section so so yeah we actually got a editor's choice award from indie db for that because we've been doing both the, the speed of the updates and then every single week doing uh, a combination of either a patch update with uh, Seth writing a dev blog post or um, and or doing our weekly community spotlights where people mm-hmm. actually get their levels sort of shown to everybody. And so those have been very popular. And so if you ever want to take a look through those, if you go to bscotch.net, they're all there. You can see sort of the whole community history as well as on Steam. Um, and that's something we'll, we'll just continue to do. Um, I think we'll be taking a break for the holiday because we'll all be gone. But yeah, um, this, this week, none of that's going to happen. Yeah, but... Yep. Uh, the whole rest of the year, so it'll, it'll continue happening. Um, beyond that, as far as the studio is concerned, uh, Adam's been working on a community API tool. Yeah, which I just thought I would mention briefly. I was, I've been last week. I was supposed to be working on something uh, for the, some studio tool, right? And I kept my brain just kept getting distracted by because I, I had an idea, and sometimes ideas are really dangerous because mm-hmm. they just like they just pull all of your all of your attention and concentration away. And I just started thinking about uh, how. Basically about about the the tools that we provided for the, our community to to do be able to do new interesting stuff with uh, with Levelhead right and so part of that was like was like integrations with other services like Levelhead isn't isn't integrated with Twitch or mm-hmm. Twitter or anything right so like so there's nothing that that the game does to those services and so I was kind of I was thinking about this and about what kind of things we could do and what we could pull off before launch and you know this kind of stuff and and a, that kind of led me down this this. Uh, just this general question of like, what cool things can I do, you know? Mm-hmm. With and these services? Just with these services mm-hmm. and, and just in general, it's like stuff that the community would get to sort of get involved with to some extent, either either because the level head now interacts with those services so they can use those in some way that kind of interacts back with the game uh, or that provides a community stuff that they can use to make their own things, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, and that's the path that I, that I really like the idea of because I think that, I think that with enough, with a large enough community, then uh, the community will be able to, pull off stuff that is much more interesting and much more varied than we ever possibly could yeah. because we don't have that much time. It's it's only me doing web dev, right? And so if instead we can provide tools to allow the community to make stuff, then in principle we can have infinite 
mm-hmm. stuff, which is which it's is the really beauty cool. of modding, right? It's the beauty yeah. of modding, exactly. And so, anyway, so I was, I was kind of thinking about all this kind of stuff, and then so for then for this weekend, I was like, you know, I'm just going to tackle something. I just want to tackle some interesting project that can kind of push something forward. And I was trying, I was debating between just like studying up on the Twitch API to figure out what I could do. Or making a new juice bot or juice box, uh, who is a Discord bot that lives in our Discord server. Um, and then I was debating the question of like, what parts of this can I open source, right? Because if I can make it as a tool, so let's say I made a new juice box as a Discord bot, but then made the code available to anybody. Mm-hmm. Then now anybody can go use that code as their basis and now have their own Discord bot that they can put in their own Discord right. server, right? And and the question there of like, if I did that, what would they have access to? Because they don't have access to our back end. Yeah. You know, so, so I was thinking about all this kind of stuff, but it's really interesting just to kind of figure out what does it mean to open up tools to the community? Because it's really dangerous to do that in a lot of ways. Um, but it's also really powerful and interesting and fun to do it. And so, so what I settled on just for the weekend, I was like, I just need like a day long project I can do. And so I framed out and built basically the, the core part of a, of basically a JavaScript, um, uh, toolkit. So it really, it's just like a single JavaScript client for the rumpus api because the tool that is available right now to, to the community is the community edition of the rumpus api that i released shit six, six months ago, months ago yeah. or a long time ago and it, and it gives you access to stuff like uh bookmarks you manage bookmarks it lets you search it lets you search for levels it lets you uh, search for players it lets mm-hmm. you do like look at people's likes it looks it lets you look at a whole bunch of the stuff that's the kind of stuff you would see in the game um and uh but the problem there is that it's a, it's like a, just a web API, right? And so you have to understand a whole bunch of stuff about like, not only do you have to understand the tools that you would use to like then get the data and work with it and stuff, you also have to understand this API, like how it works yeah, and how the format of the day. There's a whole bunch of stuff you have to do. Yeah. So the, the amount of effort that a person has to put in is so high that, and we do have a handful of, of community members who've, who've dove in and actually made some cool stuff with it already, but it just has to be the case that if that barrier was a lot lower, yeah. we could get more stuff. And I was, I was thinking about this with respect to like the, like uh, so, th- so for Discord, um, they don't have they have an open-ish API. I guess I guess it's not even true. Their API they don't care if you use, but it's not really documented. Mm-hmm. Um, their web API, but some industrious community members have created their own tool sets. So the the one that I that I use for for Juicebox is called Discord.js, mm. uh, freely available, open source the that works. And because that thing exists, I made Juicebox. Right. That's why I did it. If I had to go like dig through the fucking web API, yeah, it like wouldn't it wouldn't, it just wouldn't have happened. And so, so I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, let me just get started making something. And so I just spent Saturday putting together uh, basically the core of what would be this like just this single JavaScript object that you can then just load directly from your browser. So you can just like if you're writing an HTML web page, you can just load it into script tag, and now you just have it, and you can start making calls and start getting stuff from the from uh, Rumbus. Um, or as a that same object, you could then import into like a, a JavaScript slash node based server in the back end. And they actually have a lot more stuff that you can do. Mm-hmm. And and so I framed it out and I had to learn a whole bunch of stuff because I didn't know how to make a thing that could deliver both to a browser and to a server because they have a whole bunch of different requirements. Right. So I had to learn a whole bunch of stuff to do, which is a pretty fun just kind of, you know, day. Um, but I got it framed out. It's, it's up on GitHub. Mm-hmm. I have, there's a lot more to do before it has all the features of, of, uh, of the community edition of the Rumpus API. Um, but it can... At base, it can actually still do everything because it has a generic, just like make a request sort of um, component. And so you can still use it and use it to get everything in the current right. system. I just haven't built all the shortcuts yet to make so it really, really easy. So when are you going to be kind of like when, – when are we going to be kind of debuting this thing? So Actually. so if you want to go like just play with it, you could um, basically right now. So if you go to – it's it's on 
actually probably the easiest way to get to it is through NPM. Um, so if you just, if you just do a search for at the at sign at bscotch slash uh, rumpus dash ce, mm-hmm. if you just do a search for that, you're going to end up, I'm sure you'll come across it in NPM, um, in NPM. Package manager. Yeah. and you can, and from there you can find it on GitHub and other kinds of places. So that's probably the easiest way to get it. Um, and and yeah, and, and and a lot of this is just like I want to build a tool so that I want to I want to have some tools ready to go so that when we launch this game and the, and the bigger community comes in, that there's already stuff available. Yeah. And so so if you play with this thing, let me know what you think. If like which things you really want in there that are the highest priority, um, and I would like to spend some more time uh, over the break, just like fleshing some of that out and adding some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, a lot of this stuff, a lot of our pre-launch work is really, it's oriented around setting the scene yes, so that right. when launch happens, that there's, there's enough things that are already in place and moved far enough forward that maybe we can get that extra little bit of momentum. Right. Basically from these things. And so, also see what the community then cares about the most, but mm-hmm. as long as they have a piece they can hold on to that we, so we do some initial upfront investment. So we just like have something, right. That's, that's not necessarily fully done, but is, is kind of partially baked right mm-hmm. so the community can use it and actually the website itself like for for bookmarking levels and stuff is another example of that which is it's like it's as minimal as it could be it's yep, like to do the job to do the job which is you can generate a link in, inside the game you can follow it you can get to a web page you can see basic stats and you can bookmark it right but that's all there is that's the only thing that we've put that i've put together and the, and the question there is like should there be more for launch mm-hmm. um and uh, and the answer isn't obvious but as long, since we have that at least and then now we have something to to build from so that as the community comes in and they start asking for certain features, like they have context now, they know what the thing is and, and they can provide good feedback about what they want to, to change. So, um, so I'm actually, I've been thinking more and more about this, the community tools and the impact on the website of things once the game launches. I think it's going to be very cool. Oh yeah. I'm super exciting, excited. To see yeah. what it's going to be wild. Yep. All right. Uh, well, that, that's it for our little studio and life section. So let's move on to the questions. These come from podcast.bscotch.net, where you can ask questions. You can actually vote on other people's questions as well to move them up the list and get them likely to actually be asked. So the highest voted question for today is from Woland77, who says, this is, this is a longie. I'm going to read the whole thing. <laughs> and we'll go back over it. What does the day work like for your QA and testing team? Do they work there with you or off on their own? How many are there? Could you field a softball team, win the pennant? Where would you put the trophy? When you spoon the trophy, are you the big spoon or the small spoon? Why are there so many characters in the question box? Do the characters have names? Do they live on the same street? Are they in a dramedy or soap opera? What kind of soap do you like? Bar or liquid? Why would you use gaseous soap? It's extra. So where do you want to? I think for that. Out? So where where it meandered off track, we can. I think we can ignore all of it except for one question, uh-huh. which is type of soap, which is clearly liquid soap on a loofah. Yep, that's a good way I to think do that's it. That's the mm-hmm. only that's the only reasonable. Or if you got really calloused hands, you could just go. That also works, yeah. you know. They got, but they got to be really calloused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but that is an option. Gaseous soup, I feel like, uh, would just kill you. Kill you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what probably chemical weapons are. It would be a because because basically what what soap does is it basically it breaks up water, right? That's its yeah. whole thing. And so if you get that shit in your lungs. Because yeah, the whole no. reason that your lungs work is because of of basically water tension. They're covered in juice. They're covered in water. Mm-hmm. And if you throw – if you just throw it that mm-hmm. in there, mm-hmm. you're just toast. Yeah. So I would definitely not recommend that one. That's like eating a Tide Pod. That's what that is. It's yeah, breathing it's, yeah, it's, a Tide it's Pod. It's inhaling a Tide Pod, yeah. Which we know kills people. So, yeah, so you know, don't, don't, don't do, go ahead and do, do that. Do not do it. But to back it up, what is a day of work like for the QA and testing team? So, so I guess – which partly answers some of the rest of the questions. Yes. Uh, we actually don't – from an experiential standpoint – the answer is kind of, I don't know. And, and, the, and the reason for that is that in the, in the studio, so we have two kinds of testers. We have in-house and then we have remote. Um, 
we want more in-house testers, but that's a harder role to fill because because uh, people need to be able to do it in the, the normal nine to five. For the most part, the kind of stuff that we want to do with QA doesn't require full time. Mm-hmm. And so we want actually more people doing it for less time than we want like a small number of people doing it for more time um, in general. And so so that's meant we're like looking for part-time workers locally, but also remotely. Mm-hmm. Remote part-timers are easy to find because they can do it on their evenings. They can do it on their weekends, yep. whatever. Uh, remote local during remote? the work hours hard. Remote, we have five, five I think. Yeah. Um, that are all working six to eight hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, local, we currently have uh, two part-timers. Um, one of them, though, we are upgrading to a full-timer, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about next yep, year. Next year. Um, and, uh, and, and so we'll, we'll, instead of going into details about like what QA is going to look like for us, we can still talk about like what it is today, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and yeah, and so, so locally, we have a room that's just our QA room. Um, it's kind of sequestered off from the rest of the studio in the, in the sense that it's a room, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, you can see right through it because of the, the, yeah. the doors, a window and all that. Um, but it, it, it's kind of isolated. The rest of us are in an open workspace, um, just, you know, adjacent to it. And, and that was intentional, uh, for a bunch of reasons. But the main one is that, is that QA as an activity requires like moving around, mm-hmm. looking at huge screens, uh, having co-op, which is a hardware dynamic activity, hardware. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that means like you need a lot of shit yep. to do it. And so you need a lot of space and it can make a lot of noise and be very distracting. And so, mm-hmm. so we kind of have sequestered it. And what that's meant is that QA is fairly standalone, like, cause it's either remote, in which case like we see none of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's or it's local sequestered away, in which case we basically also yeah, see it's very it. autonomous. And so we, autonomous. we've built tools to allow for basically to, to push that autonomy even further. And so the patch notes actually come into QA as a checklist. Yeah, people go through each individual tester, then checks through the things that they've actually looked at. So we actually get to see test coverage for for each individual new. Thing and these are the same patch notes that you see. Like if you, if you go to Levelhead patch notes, for example, our QA team sees exactly the same patch notes, except when they see them, there's also a little check mark next to each mm-hmm. bullet point. And so they can just check it off if once they have looked at it. It doesn't mean that it it was successful. It just means that I they looked at that and if it. yeah, and if and if I found problems with that thing, I have documented it. Is basically yep. what that means. And so we've done a lot of work to actually build that autonomy, even like just further and further and further. And so the whole the whole team, then the distributed part, the local part, um, just sort of runs, which is really cool. That's yeah. really actually my favorite part of of doing the biz the business stuff and figuring out the structure for all this all these things is trying to set up the system such that it just kind of. It just kind of goes. And so, yep. you know, now with our, our build pipeline and stuff, Seth will just make a commit, uh, build it, or send a send a build command, mm-hmm. and then it just gets built. All the testers get the patch notes, and then yep. and it's so, just so all the just patch notes. So, so since the testers look at the patch notes and see what the most recent version is supposed to be, and they can then just look at the version number on Steam and be like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, this isn't up to date yet, so I probably need to force an update or, or whatever. And so it's really easy for everybody to figure out what is supposed to be happening. Um, it's really yeah. fun. We cannot currently field a softball team. Uh, we don't have enough people. No. But or skills. Or skills. Well, yeah, basically we don't have enough people in the right in the same place. Yeah. Uh, nor softball skills. Um, so yep. that's just probably not going to happen, happen uh, very much. But I think uh, as it comes to why there are so many characters in the question box. Uh-huh. Why is that? Well, so – the main thing about about making things for people is mm-hmm. that they always want more. <laughs> yes. And I guess that's kind of the short answer to this question. Uh, the main thing, though, as a, as a developer is you always want less. Yep. And especially when you're developing things that – where more costs more money, right? So when it, when it comes to our web infrastructure, um, I've, I'm, I've been a force for smallness. I'm, I'm always pushing everything smaller. I'm like – 
okay, that's a great idea. Can we get away with having that be like the minimum number of bytes possible? Mm-hmm. Can we get away with not even having this at all? Can we, like, can we get away with this being cached for 10 minutes at a time? Right. Like, what can we get away with with this thing? And, uh, and so that's my overarching goal as a web developer mm-hmm. is to make things as secure and cheap to store as possible. This, this does become a problem every so often. I'm working on a back, like a back end thing that Adam built. Like yep. the, so I, when I go to send out the ballot who every four to six weeks, mm-hmm. um, there are a bunch of what I would consider strangely small character limits on some of these things. And I've had to have yeah. Adam go in an increase because I was like, I just typed two sentences and it wouldn't let me submit it. He's like, well, don't be clogging up the service yeah. and all this stuff. And there's always a reason for those numbers that I choose, right? But of course, then you have to you have to find that balance of where, you know, reality meets the ideal situation. Right. You know? And uh, and so, so yes, yeah, so I, start, I start everything just like with the smallest thing possible. And then as people complain, <laughs> I, I begrudgingly increase it just enough to uh-huh. to reduce the complaints enough that I don't care anymore, you know. And so uh, that's where we're at with the comments now, or with the questions. Yeah. So with the questions, they, they actually were. It was a smaller limit. It was. And uh, and then we got a whole bunch of complaints, and I was like, fine. So then I doubled it. I think. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's like five twelve now or something, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. And um, which is frankly too many characters. Uh, clearly, clearly, because this question was a hundred questions, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, but you know, it, it makes room for that, and and people don't like feeling constrained because the fact is, like, still almost all the questions that come in are basically a sentence it's short. Yeah. Um, and honestly, the ones that are really long are ones we're likely to skip, you mm-hmm. know. And so it, it's actually fine, really. Um, but the the other part of it is that it's a protective mechanism, right? Because if the more just the more stuff you allow people to do, the more the hackers are going to get in and just abuse that mm-hmm. shit, and then suddenly fill up our server with a million. That's how you get hackers. That's how you get hackers, yeah. and so it's. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of reasons we can't have nice things. Yep. So next question comes from Beaky Bapa Boop, who says, "What are on the whiteboards right now? Water on the whiteboards. Water on the whiteboards. Uh, what's on the whiteboard? So looking at our main, so we have a main whiteboard, a huge one that's kind of like the centerpiece of our mm-hmm. office. We're just staring yeah. out the window into the other room right now. So. Yeah. So we're looking from the podcast room through our door window. Window door. It's a door it's and a, a yeah, window. Yeah. It's a weird know. one. I don't know. So we're looking through it at the whiteboard, and what I see is what appears to be. V, you know, from a, a recent podcast episode of trying to write with two hands at once. Oh, yeah. Which appears to be Sam's efforts to do that. I did try to do it. I just wrote my name a bunch of times. <laughs> it, it looks really like something like a, a it's TV a, depiction of a of an insane person. Yeah, it's do. a serial killer sort of scenario yeah. splayed out on the board up there. Yep. Uh, and then we've got uh, some days on there. Oh, for our So we, we had an original concept of string lock, mm-hmm. uh, which we have managed to not worry about. Not worry about in a sense. Which so I guess is, in a short answer is that there's some very outdated due dates. I think everything on that board is super outdated. Yeah, I think we have we've got sticky notes up. We've got like a weird uh, there's a weird flow chart about how to get through cert. Yeah, which I think is also no longer valid because yeah. we figured out some other ways to do things. So oh, and related news, we got through Nintendo cert. We did. Yeah. So we're exciting. That's fucking rad. So uh, we do have, of course, that's with a version of the game from two weeks ago. Yeah, two or three weeks ago. Um, and so we have. That's not the final thing. We're not actually kicking the game out yet. No, but, but if we if we had to, like if we just had to launch, we couldn't get through Nintendo Cert again. We have mm-hmm. something we can launch. It would yeah. be it would be out of date, but it's a fully functional, good version of the game because the game has been good now for like six fucking months. Yeah. So congrats to Sure actually on that. Yeah. Because that's been a monstrous undertaking. Yeah. So we still have to finish Xbox, which is proven to be difficult, but mm-hmm. we are diligently making that happen. Yeah, buddy. All right. So next question comes from Who Honka Zonk Donk. Who who did? Who honka? Zonk donk. Oh, I guess that's – so it's a self-answering sort of <laughs> it <is>. thing. <laughs> who says, I also have a dog leash that makes my dog spin around to look at me when he pulls on it. 
What are some of your favorite examples of this oh, in yeah. games that you've made or played? And so that that references to I think Sam. Yes. Talking, so my dog about this just remember my, my dog Yogurt Yogi is maniac when he's outdoors, and so uh, we got a leash that actually hooks on the front of his chest. And so what that means is that when he tries to go running off, being a crazy person, he just he just gets turned a little bit. Yeah. And. But he it doesn't appear to he doesn't appear to hate it at all. He just sort of has accepted it, and then he doesn't run off like a maniac. And so he's just yep. sort of he's actually just controlled. Mm-hmm. And so the question basically, what are almost like what are some mechanical things you've seen in games or in a, in one of our games or a game you've played that have made it basically so that people do the thing you do want them you to want. do? Uh, basically, every aspect of design has a component of this. Yes. So it's, it's hard. I can't. The only things I can just like pick out because they were so explicitly about that um, in recent memory, and it's and it's also because it's the part that I'm interested in, which is like the website and how do mm-hmm. we handle people. Um, so from a community management perspective, which is uh, we were adding a dislike button, yes, right to to level head to levels, and we originally didn't have one because we wanted it because we're like we don't actually care because if we see how many how many people play it and how many people then mark that they like it, then we don't really need to know how many people dislike it, right? right. Because that's sort of Information basically isn't really important, actually, in that context. Uh, so, so our question is always like, well, why, why have a dislike option, right? Um, but now we have the answer to that question, mm-hmm. which was we we've gotten a so, we, so there's a moderation capacity where we can flag a level and be like, there's something like offensive or yeah, whatever. Report level. a level for yeah, it violates our community guidelines or whatever. So we have that in there, and we need it, and we need to be able to then at some later, it's, we need to have the possibility that we can now go through levels that have been reported and moderate them in some way. Uh, that's current. Our our next sprint, our next patch is basically all focused on how do we actually manage all this moderation stuff. Um, and so what we saw is there's a there's a person in our there's a person named Uso who mm-hmm. who makes a lot of levels and they and they're pretty well designed, but there's always a bit of a trolly yeah. nature to them. Like always, always, so it's it's enough that he's infamous. In he's the infamous yeah. in the Discord for making these levels, and and because he makes so many, they tend to also show up in the tower trials. So like yeah. everybody sees them constantly. And and the reason they show up in the tower trial is because they're well rated, and the reason they're well rated is because people, even though they're really frustrated with them, want to beat them, yep. right? Uh, which is actually perfect. That means that that for for in our eyes, that's a good level then, mm-hmm. because it causes a lot of engagement. People like they want to beat it, right? Uh, but people hate them also. Yeah, like, people people hate <laughs> very polarizing. Yeah, it's very polarizing. People hate that they want to beat it. They hate that they had to beat it. Yep. Like that, you know, and uh, and so. So what happened then was that we noticed that our moderation queue – so far we've only found one level that had questionable content. And yeah. even that was like you would have to choose to interpret it offensively yep. for it to be offensive. And and so our community has been really good so far, but we've still got a lot of reported levels. And Uso in particular yeah. <laughs> is like the main source of reported levels. And again, it's because people people are just angry at them, right? And they have no mechanism by which to express their anger at the level yes. except for – reporting it. And so so the absence of the dislike feature actually causes people to report the level. And so we figured, okay, well, that means if we put a dislike button in there, uh, honestly, even if it didn't do anything except for record the fact that you dislike it. Um, so we, and we, we probably will incorporate it into the, yep. the actual metric, the, like the spiciness metric at some point. Um, but, uh, but even if we didn't, people would get to now express the fact that they don't like this thing. They would get to do that. They get to say, I hate this. Uh, they take an mm-hmm. action. They stab that fucking button, right? <laughs> and, and now instead of going through the report, and our report thing, when you hit it, it says like, does this violate our community? Like it actually asks you explicitly, yeah, asks you, yeah. why are you doing this? And people are doing it and people just ignore that. They're just like, because I'm, I'm just pissed. I'm yeah. pissed at this level. Uh, so this is one of those things. It's like, it's like, it's the dog leash, right? It's like, instead of, 
we know what you're going to do. We know you're going to want to run off and go yep. report this level when it's actually within community guidelines. You just might hate it. And so if we give you an easier option because it's like right next to the like button, it's a little more prominent. Mm-hmm. It just requires one click instead of you have to look to agree to something, right? So we make it easier. We make it really apparent. And so now that's the avenue that you take. Then, uh, then now we don't clog up our moderation queue with stuff that actually doesn't need to be moderated. Um, so I think moderation stuff is actually for me the the prime place where this kind of comes in because our goal, our goal with actually the feedback is designed in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you look at the feedback like really carefully and think about why everything is the way that it is, right? It's it's all designed that way so that when you interact with it as a user, you think of it as oh my I have one comment among thousands, mm-hmm. right? the developers can't possibly be reading all of these, right? Uh, it's designed explicitly for that. So that at the point where we can't pause, like right now we can and we do, but at some point we're going to have so much feedback coming in yep. that we can't. Um, but the other thing about having that feedback there, we're going to have that feedback all the way through the entire life of the game. Because if people are angry at the game, they don't like something that we did. If there's a feedback button in the game that they can then click and then tell us what they're so angry about, yep. they'll do that. Instead of leaving us a negative review, or maybe right? in addition to, or maybe frankly, in addition to, but, there's, at least, there's at least a probability, right, that yeah. they will that they'll choose that path. Where now it's a double bonus for us. One is we have fewer negative reviews, but also now that negative feedback comes into our system mm-hmm. so that we can see it and we can respond to it and we can like figure out what to do with it. Uh, so, so all of our moderation systems basically are designed like this. Yeah. As think, far as game ones, I don't know if you have any examples of. Yeah, the one I can think about is um, with regard to actually Crashlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite design discussions and arguments that we ever had was about floors. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And right. because the, the basic question, the problem was that whenever we'd watch people, basically every so often during development, we'd have a friend come over and just play the game for about an hour. And those are just, there was just an incredible work session. Because basically all you do is you just sit there with a notepad and just watch them play. Mm-hmm. And I actually found one of my notepads, uh, one of my legal pads from back then. Oh. And it has, it's literally, it's usually like 100 to 200 items. Yeah. Over the course of one hour watching someone play where you're noticing where they're going sideways, where they're not necessarily doing things that you want them to be doing. Um, and basically, so you just sort of catalog all these things and then start figuring out how do you make designs to put the put the exactly. leash on the dog, you know? And so the problem I saw was that, uh, you know, we, we built the whole the whole base building operation in Crashlands, but there was no there's no mechanical need for it, mm-hmm. um, especially at the beginning, because you didn't actually have to put you didn't, all you had to do is just throw a station down. And then you could build something at it, and then you could just pick it back up and, and move yeah, on. Yeah, and it's still that still is the case. The only need for base building is to put workstations. Yeah, down. and some people do have the nomadic lifestyle where they mm-hmm. just they don't actually have a base ever. And so with this interesting question, where we're like, well, I mean, we want part of it was we wanted people to have that feeling of building like a little fort in the woods, yeah. right? Sort of your treehouse vibe. But if there's no, if there's no reason to, yeah, if there's like just a hundred percent no reason to, yeah. and so the discussion we had was like, okay, so we could spend a lot of time trying to build. And design out that reason. So, yeah, because we talked about things like, what if you had hordes of things attack you sometimes, yeah. and your what base if, could be used as a as a defense thing, like a tower defense thing. Yeah. Each night, basically. What if it was the case that uh, that you could befriend some locals, and they could? We literally hadn't like there people were going to your NPCs that would come in. Would you could specialize them into becoming like accountants and yeah. stuff? There's some really just weird stuff uh, back in the day because we were trying to figure out how to make it so that someone actually wants to build a base. And so we had a really long discussion about it, and then. We were like, what if what if all we need is just like a little bit of a nudge in that direction? Mm-hmm. And so instead of making a whole giant elaborate system to try to get someone to do this, uh, it's kind of like the chest pulling thing with the dog, which is, uh, you know, one is that you could spend a tremendous amount of time uh, training a dog, in my case, that has that has massive amounts of anxiety. 
uh, it is basically impossible to train according to the behavioral dog person I talked to about it um, because he's just too too wired up. So we could like we could drug him a bunch, work on him for months until he's mm-hmm. slightly calmer on a leash, right? Yeah. Uh, Take or, two months off of work to work with him full time. <laughs> exactly. Get that done. Uh, or we find this little thing, um, the little mechanical nudge that makes it much more likely that he does what we want him to do. And so in this case, all it was was we just said, okay, so if you want to put something on the ground now. You want to put a station down, you have to put a piece of flooring under it. Mm-hmm. And what we saw immediately happen uh, from players was first, of course, they try to just put a station down yeah. and they can't. And also it's the just, reason that you make floors in batches of 10 was, yeah. was to go along with this, yeah, right? It because was, the, the idea of having them come in a batch of 10 rather than one at a time was that you would always have a little extra. Yeah. Of a little so more you, than so you put them down. And you will put them down. That's exactly what we saw when we had people play because they're like, oh, I got nine. So like, I'm going to, I'm just going to make a nice pattern. Yeah. This is, this is what we sort of honed in on is people, as soon as you put have, as soon as you have 10 floors, mm-hmm. even though you only need to put down one, you will put down all of them. And then because you're putting them all down, you're going to put them in a nice pattern. Yep. Because you're because you've done that, you're like, oh, I should have put some walls up here. Yep. You know? And yeah. so suddenly it's just this little tiny, little tiny nudge that makes it such that uh, people end up building just extremely elaborate bases. Yeah. And it was all because we just said, because we didn't have to, because we didn't have to put, require that you put a floor underneath no. a, a station, right? Um, but all we did was we, was we just we made that decision to do that for this reason, and the impact was fucking enormous, yeah. right? It, it gave people, and and we, and we still get a lot of people who who say like, oh, I wish there was more of a reason to like to mm-hmm. build bases, right? But it's a surprisingly small amount of feedback that yeah. we get after after that change. Um, had we not had that though, that actually would have probably have been one of the primary complaints that we have is just like, like there's, just, there's no reason for this, yeah. right? Why, like, why would I do this instead of? Now you just do it because it feels like the appropriate yeah, thing. Because if you could choose to put down a floor or not, along with your furniture and stuff, yeah. it just gets weird. Yeah, it gets real weird. Because then why would you? Yep. Right. And yeah. So I think that, yeah, that's a really good example of of designing the system explicitly around how people are going to behave um, to get them to do what you want with like the minimum, minimum number of effort. changes yep. possible and and ones that even aren't. It's, 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 it's an interesting sort of subtle design philosophy, right? Because on the one hand, you can train somebody up and try to convince them that the thing is important, or you can build elaborate systems mm-hmm. that make the thing important. Um, but the other one is you can try to recognize, like, what is it What is it about this that somebody would need to do what I want? Like, what is, what yeah. is like, some little thing, some little change I can make that will hit somebody just exactly right psychologically yeah. so that they do what I want? Um, and that's honestly what most of design is. Yeah, because basically if, if you can – if you can with your design there, it should always be the case that if there's the opportunity to use a human's natural intrinsic human behaviors yeah. uh, to drive the power of your design, then you always want to use those first. Yep. Instead because, of trying to train them. Or, yeah, because yeah. as soon as you strap the external system on there, one is now you have you have to manage that. Yeah, um, and you have to, there's a development cost you got to yeah, do. Yeah, how it interacts with everything. And then on top of that, uh, you have to plan for the fact that external systems tend to run out. Like we talk about yeah. loops, right? So if, for example, in Crashlands, it was the case that you – that we built like some giant tower defense mechanism with that. The whole tone of the game changes. Yeah. Um, the whole focus of the game changes. And on top of that, we have to build content suited to, to that, that yeah. for the whole rest of the game. And so, yeah, I- ideally you can you think a bit and try to figure out exactly what are you trying to get the person to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then really just, just try to walk through what human drives you can tap into, yeah. which in this case, like people like symmetry and they like beauty. And so it's pretty easy. If you get yeah, them yeah. to put down like one thing, and they have some extra. Then yeah. you're basically well, especially go. because then the, like the floor tiles break up the ground tile, right? They, yep. Because you have this nice, like interesting ground and all of a sudden there's just like a thing float. It's just like a thing there now. Yep. You're like, what the, it doesn't, it doesn't feel it doesn't right. Look good. You yeah. got to, you got to fix it now, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting, it is an interesting set of problems, but it's, it's, it's really hard to, when you, when you're a phase of design problem, trying to get a, a 
person to do what you want with the thing that you made. It's it's really hard to see those kinds of subtle, yes, easy easy answers in the sense that like it's something that's pretty easy to do that gets you most of the way to where you were wanting to be um, without some sort of elaborate. Roots, yeah, I mean, people know? are very biased toward action. It's kind of like Seth going to urgent care and getting a steroid shot, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Yep. You you want to do something. You're yep. going to want to do something, especially uh, over design is, is actually, I think, a very common problem. Oh, yeah. It's something it causes, that we deal with all the time, too. Yeah, we do it all the time, and it causes scope creep like crazy because basically you're, you're trying to solve this little problem, and it yep. seems like in order to solve that little problem, you have to build basically like the Taj Mahal in order to, to yeah. accomplish it. Um, and the reality, oftentimes, if you can if you can be if you can be slow enough. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, you just have to like chill out enough. Yeah. Take the time to step back so that you always ask the question like, can we get away with something that is just not yeah, it's still Right. It's always still what can we get away with? And I think I think another, you know, we've we've talked a bit about one of our goals that we don't know if we'll have for launch. One of our goals is to have uh is to have levels within levels, right? Or is that mm-hmm. a launch goal or is that a post-launch goal? Probably post-launch, probably post-launch goal at this point. Yeah. Um we've talked about it a bit with the community and like and and of course people are really excited about this idea because now all of a sudden you go from what is already really cool, complex level design opportunities to to the to basically building a campaign. Because yeah. as soon as you can put a door in and like make another level inside of a level, uh, you can make really interesting things. But some problematic pieces come out of that. A lot, a lot oh, of problematic yeah. pieces come out of that. Um, but most of them are solved by just being like these rooms are separate worlds. Mm-hmm. They don't, they can't talk to each other. Right. As soon as you just make that a, a, a requirement, now most of the problems right. kind of evaporate. Right. And so, so then you as a designer have to decide, okay, what people are definitely going to wish was true was that all these rooms talk to each other all the time, right? So that if there was a bird or, you know, not a bird, if there was a, a flapjack flapping mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. right? But flapjacks aren't flying creatures, but they're flapping though. They are flapping. <laughs> so you have a flapjack <laughs> flapping around, right? In, uh, in one zone and then you go into a door and let's say it's bouncing around and it's hitting switches, right? Mm-hmm. Then... Yeah, ideally, it would still be hitting those switches like behind the scenes. You can't right. see it, but it's still doing it so that you, you can now have like a, uh, you know, some sort Elaborate of contraption. Puzzle, that, yeah. yeah. Um, but if we allow for that, the the complexity of the problem it turns into basically infinity, yeah. right? And so then the question that we have to, we have to address there is like, yeah, ideally, in the ideal world, and like we know what our players want is that. They want mm-hmm. that this like really complicated uh, interacting universe, right? Um, but what can we get away with? Yeah. Can we get away with – the idea that if you leave one room, that room just freezes its state and it's just state is what it is. And other rooms have no awareness of that state. Like, can we get away with that? What are the, what are the implications to the experience? Like, will it be intuitive? You know, like, mm-hmm. can we get away with it? Cause if we can, Oh my God, our life will be <laughs> yes, so much easier. Right, right. And, and that's so much of what, of what the design is about is just like, can we, can we get away with this? Yeah. You know, what, what can we, what, how can we pare this thing down so that we still get what we want? Well, the reality is that you're always working with, uh, with trying to get close enough. Yeah. That's actually what it is. Yep. Um, and I think that's that's where people who have really, really strict visions about what they're trying to do run into a lot of problems. And, that, because, and that's when they take seven years to make a game yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It takes too long and, you, and your, your product ends up a little wonky at the end of the day. Yeah. All right. Well, Over, I think it's good. Overdesigned. Overdesigned. Yeah. I think it's a good place to wrap it up for the day. So uh, I want to say thank you to all our community for listening and I hope you're having a happy holidays and a wonderful. And also, thank you for buying Level Head for Christmas because I assume that you're doing that. You better be doing that. Uh, Crashland's on sale too. If you don't have that, go get it. And actually, yeah. If you're, if you're listening to this on, if you're home because you're off of work, mm. it's Christmas Day, triggering your hot cocoa, hanging out with your buddies or by yourself, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're just hanging out. Mm-hmm. You got to play some video games. You know, it's a really Get good in one. On that. Level Head's a really good one. Mm-hmm. You can play it uh, with a controller. You can play it with two, <laughs> two, up to four people. You know, just just get that thing for Christmas. Share share it with people. Absolutely. Everything's Sharing is sale. caring. 
All right, so we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bar and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. That place is popping. So if you Get want to hop in the Discord, it's discord.gg slash bscotch. It's a fun place, full of fun people. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where there are links to literally everything and links to the archives. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.